And I do mean morning, don't I? You all start your day with a gold star for making it. And we will be kind to the people who arrived just before 10.30 this morning, ready for the 9.30 platform. It is good to be together, even on an early, drizzly day. Our opening words this morning are from the poet Mary Oliver beloved by many folks in this community and lately lost to us here on earth, but leaving us such beauty. This poem is called The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. Though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations. Though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough and a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voice behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life that you could save. Join in singing our opening song led by our guest musician, Vladimir Friedman. The words are projected behind me. Why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the side? Rainbows are visions but on the illusions and rainbows have nothing to hide so I've been told and some choose to believe it I know their own wait and see someday we'll find it the rainbow connection the lover the dreamers and me all of it's under its spell we know that it's probably magic have you been harvested and have you heard voices i've heard them calling my name is this a sweet sound that calls the young sailors the voice might be one and the same I've heard 
said it too many times to ignore it. It's something that I'm supposed to be. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. La di da, di da, di do. La di da, di da. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. My name is Brian Pashigian, and my pronouns are he, him, his. And I'm so glad that you're here this morning, whether you're in the room or joining us on Facebook. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag so that we can welcome you and answer any questions you might have. We love talking about why this community is so important to us and we'd like to hear from you what you're looking for. We hope you'll join us after platform for cookies and coffee in the lobby and the social hall. Also, please consider sharing your email with us on one of the gold sheets found in the program. You can drop that sheet in the collection basket as it passes later in the service. I want to remind you to please silence your electronic devices so that you can be fully present this morning, although we'd love it if you could check in on social media. And now I invite Donna Taylor to read our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared values in each other's voices. Donna begin with a brief thought about why you're here at WES and what you find here that fuels your journey. I have to read what I fuels my journey this early in the morning. <laughs> so you know our theme for our pledge drive is fueling the journey. And I wrote a little statement about that um, on a day after I had had lots of coffee and when I didn't suffer from lack of sleep. So I'm going to try and inject myself with energy and say, Wes fuels my journey by providing high-octane fuel for my spirit <laughs> so I can be and do better out in the world every week. And our statement of purpose, the Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each other's, each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults 
as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you. As Donna lights our community candle, I invite you all to join me in the candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to light a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of all those in Alabama who have lost family members or suffered life-altering damage due to the recent tornadoes. And also the passengers of an Ethiopian Airlines flight, which crashed early this morning, killing all on board, reaching our hearts across the globe to all who love them. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. and let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. Settle into your seat and hold your body comfortably. Close your eyes if you would like, or soften your gaze. Take a breath in and let it out. Continue to breathe naturally and deeply. Imagine yourself at the start of a path. You can decide where that path is, paved in a city park or cut through the underbrush in a forest or mowed through a meadow. Begin moving, walking or rolling, fast or slow along that path. The path stretches out ahead of you, further than you can see. Perhaps it is straight and you can see far into the horizon, or perhaps it has many curves so that at any given moment, you can see only a small portion of that path. Continue moving along. Notice if the environment around you changes meadow changing into woods, or woods becoming a clearing as you move ahead. If you stopped on the path now and looked behind you, you would no longer be able to see the start of the path. You still cannot see the end. You are simply on the path. You can see that you are making progress though by the changing world around you as you move along. Take a moment to stop right on the path. Look around again. 
what surrounds you in your imagination. Breathe in deeply and fully. Breathe out, letting go of all you have been carrying. Breathe in again and out again. Letting go. In the silence that follows, you may continue along the path or simply stay right where you are, breathing in and out somewhere on the journey.
feel like a spell has been cast. Thank you for that beautiful and haunting music. It is so good to have Vladimir back with us. It's been a little while since he's been in our space, and we are very pleased to have you again. And folks, this is Brian Tashigian's very first um, Sunday officiating gig. Isn't he doing great? Despite the fact that he had to get up so early to be here, I think he was excited that it was likely to be a smaller crowd. So I said everyone would be so friendly. <laughs> well, good stories, you know, have a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's what we're taught as children when we're first learning to write stories in school. It's the kind of books that I like to read sort of wrapping everything up very nicely. The vampire marries the werewolf, all is well, just like in real life. <laughs> Raise your hand if that matches your experience of real life with the vampires, wasn't it? On the one hand, our lives do, in fact, have a beginning, a middle, and an end. We just aren't sure which part we're in at any given moment. Many folks in this community gathered yesterday at a service held at River Road Unitarian Universalist to grieve and to celebrate a life that ended far, far too early. But that was also a full and rich life. A somehow enough life while also being not nearly enough, both those things at once. A life that had like the longest lives and like the very shortest lives, a beginning and a middle and an end. In real life, we never know which part we're in. We can't check and see how many pages are left and make a guess about whether we're still in character development or resolving loose threads. But still, the stories of our lives have a beginning and a middle and an end. Or really, a lot of them. <laughs> A lot of beginnings and middles and ends over the arc of our lives. Not just one, as though life is one big story, but many stories nestled inside them. That is the other thing about life that makes it less like the books I read. It is rarely a straight line. There's not a, a clean story arc where you know at the beginning who the characters will be and you can be assured at the end that everything will be wrapped up with a bow. Something which I, as a person who loves those kinds of neat bow stories, find deeply frustrating about life. I want to offer today some metaphors for how we see our lives how we experience this journey that is life. How to understand them as they unfold before us and behind us and 
within us. So the first one is the metaphor of a spiral. I have found the spiral idea particularly helpful when life is not going my way. When I feel as though not only is life not a straight line like this, you know, onward and upward forever, but life is crashing downward or I am suddenly doubling back again, moving entirely in the wrong direction. Or when it feels as though life is repeating itself. Do you know what I mean? When something happens and I think, I thought I dealt with this thing already. We already had this plot point. I'm all set with it now. I thought I'd figured out how to be a good friend. I thought I knew how to keep toxic people out of my life. I thought I had learned not to procrastinate. Wasn't that settled already? I thought I had beat my panic attacks. I thought I had gotten through the worst of this grief. I thought, I thought. And so why has this thing shown up in my life again? Perhaps you have had that experience. Whole communities can have the experience actually feeling like an issue comes up again or a decision that they thought was dealt with returns and rears its head to be dealt with yet once more. Or countries, perhaps, who felt just, for instance, that they had decided that the military would be welcoming to all people, including queer people and transgender people and are finding they have to have the same damn argument over again or that they'd fought a whole war actually about Nazis being bad and yet once again in the world, in communities, in our personal and most intimate lives the same damn thing comes up over and over and over again the thing we were sure we had already settled. <laughs> At those moments, the image of a spiral is helpful to me because I certainly don't want to feel as though life is supposed to be going forward and I have been shuttled back to a point from years ago. Instead, if I imagine that life is a spiral, I can see that I'm coming again to the same place, but in a different way. The me is different. Having been there once before, when I return, I am able to bring a new capacity, a new engagement, a new perspective. I have done this work before, I can think to myself. I can do it again. And perhaps because of that change internally, the thing itself is different, too. Sometimes we talk here about learning to really feel our emotions fully, to own them, and to make sure they don't own us, to get to hold them and have them without being stuck by them. Spirals can do that for us. They can give us an opportunity to come back again to the same place 
but ourselves better able to navigate it. And actually, sometimes it can be a true gift to come back again, to be given a second chance to navigate something that perhaps we didn't do quite as well as we had wished. One of the challenges that is often pointed out in humanist philosophy or humanist theology is that we lack atonement. You know, atonement is the theological concept where when you make a mistake, you then confess it in some way and do something, atone in some way, make up for it, and are therefore forgiven. There is not a strong theology of atonement within humanism, and sometimes there are good reasons for that. But I think one of the challenges is that it can make it harder for us to admit our mistakes. If we don't feel that there are steps to follow where we can be absolved of them, then we may not want to admit them out loud or even to ourselves. Spirals help me when I know I have made a mistake, as I do more frequently than I would like. It helps me to know that one moment in time on the spiral is not the only moment that I get to come back to that idea, to that happening, to that choice, that it will likely come up in my life again, and I will have an opportunity to do it better, to try again. I'm always grateful that platform comes around weekly when I make a mistake, as I sometimes or often do. I'll get a chance to say it again to you, and you won't have remembered the last time I said it, so that'll be nice, too. It'll feel fresh for you and like a redo for me. (laughs) Spirals can help us to own our challenges, our mistakes, and to try again and better. So if a spiral is one metaphor to imagine today, another is a maze. Spirals have a neatness to them, you know, of following a discernible pattern, just like this spiraling upward, perhaps, ever better, or spiraling downward, ever deeper, ever closer to the center. But when life is really rough, it feels, I think, less like a spiral and more like a maze. You know, the kind that are on the paper placemats of kids' menus or built in um, out of dead corn ears at Halloween time. The paper placemat ones I'm okay with. You can at least look down and see the whole thing at once and trace with a crayon how to get out. But I really don't like the corn ones. I don't know if you do corn mazes in the fall, if you've ever been on one. They're designed primarily for children, I think, although some of them are quite tall. And I know that they really wouldn't advertise and have you pay for an experience where you would end up, um, you know, dying of dehydration, lost forever in the corn maze. But I swear that every time I go in one, I wonder if that is what will happen to me. 
I wonder if I will make it out. The experience of a maze is coming up against walls, against rows of corn you cannot get through, or hedgerows, or literal walls, if you're in that kind of a maze. I start to panic in those moments that I might never get out. And so it is important for me to remember that there is a way out of the corn maze, the way there is in the life mazes that we find ourselves in as well. All the mazes still have a beginning and a middle and an end. It's just that they have no pattern to them. And in that way, I do find that they are like life, especially for those of us who are, like many in this community, existentialists, who believe there is no inherent meaning in life, but rather that life offers us often random experiences. Walls in our face when we least expected them, sharp turns to the right, opportunities to double back, and find a different opening. Sometimes life feels like a spiral where we revisit and bring our new learning, and sometimes it feels like a maze where we are just searching for the tunnel out, the one that will get to the end of the walls. So if life is most often like a spiral or like a maze inherently, you know, just as it unfolds itself to us. A labyrinth may be the meaning that we place on life. Spirals, you may know, can be found all over in nature. They are actually one of the core patterns that nature repeats over and over again, from the microscopic bacterial forms which are beautiful little spirals, to the most unimaginably immense galactic forms, spiral nebulae, stardust swirling in a spiral in the sky. Life literally organizes itself in spirals. And a maze is often how life feels with no pattern, a random search to find the next opening, a bump up against a wall a sharp right turn that goes nowhere. A labyrinth, though, is what humans have created to make meaning in their lives, to build into the randomness of life the transformation that we seek, a core part of the human experience. A labyrinth has a beginning and a middle and an end, just like all stories and just like all lives, but not as we might expect. If you haven't walked a labyrinth or seen a labyrinth, I'll describe it just a little to you. You know, labyrinths are often in a circle shape, and you enter in one place, and that's the place you'll come out as well. You walk a path in and back, doubling around, always moving toward the center of the labyrinth. 
the middle. And then once you're there, you go right back out the same path. One of the amazing things about walking a labyrinth with other people, if you face it right, you know, you're not bumping up against each other trying to get past the other person. That's what happens if you walk a labyrinth with children, actually. I, there's a beautiful little labyrinth at Brookside Gardens, a park in Montgomery County, and I've taken my kids there and said, let's have a meditative labyrinth walking experience. It's like a race to the center of the labyrinth and a race out. Less meditative than one might imagine. But if you're walking a labyrinth thoughtfully and carefully with other folks, you'll pass them as you go along, just the way we pass other people in life. And you won't even be sure, perhaps, which one of you is closer to the center at any given time. But you know you're all either heading in or heading out on that path that winds through. Labyrinths have quite a history through humankind and around the globe. Many folks in the Western tradition are familiar with the, um, the labyrinth built by King Minos to contain the monster, the Minotaur. That labyrinth was solved by bringing yarn along so that one could follow the yarn to get back out. Reminds me of Hansel and Gretel going through the woods, leaving a trail for themselves. That particular labyrinth that King Minos was said to have built, based on everything we can learn from descriptions and stories, was really a little bit more like a maze. It was a branching labyrinth, so there wasn't just one path in and one path out. Those labyrinths became popular in the 12th through 14th centuries in cathedrals in Europe and were often built into the floor of the cathedral, most famously in Chartres. They're called unicorsal labyrinths, one course, a path in which is also the path out. They inspired then turf mazes in the United Kingdom, and coastal labyrinths popped up around that time all through Scandinavia. Those labyrinths were used to trap trolls and bad winds, a way of keeping the sailors safe as they set out on their journey. You can find labyrinths, though, through North and South America, in Australia, in Nepal, all over the world. People have built these patterns to follow. They have created meaning out of the journeys of life. In Ireland in particular, straight line labyrinths are seen as early as a thousand years before the Common Era, so more than 3,000 years ago. And then in years since then and through medieval times were created with a Celtic design. There are many theories about how people have used labyrinths over the years, ones that are both about the internal journey and that have deep mythological uh, imaginings to them. I had one person tell me recently that she was taught that 
when you walk a labyrinth, you bring with you a question. You walk into the center pondering this question in your mind, a decision you have to make or a wondering that you have. And when you get to the center, you stay there until you know the answer. Now, some of the questions I have in my life, I might be in the center of a labyrinth a very long time. But she promises me that she has never once needed to stay long. That by the time she reached the center of the labyrinth, a new awareness had come to her. And she was ready to walk back out the path and return to life. Some Irish thinkers, particularly with Celtic, neo-pagan, and pagan roots, will say that the center of a labyrinth offers healing and miraculous transformation. That there at the center, if you make it in, you can be rid of disease or transformed into someone entirely different. The amazing thing about labyrinths, I think, is that as you walk in, you keep imagining that you are nearing the middle, only to find that you are not there yet, that you're moving now backward. Labyrinths invite, though, a kind of trust as you continue to make your way. You only have to follow the path ahead of you. And in fact, often labyrinth walking invites you to do just that, to look not forward or behind, but instead to look down. Some folks will walk labyrinths actually hooded so that they can only see their own feet exactly where they are on the path at that moment and follow it along, trusting that as they twist and turn, the path will lead them into the center space. We are hosting a labyrinth walk here at Wes on this evening between 7 and 9, and I hope you may consider coming back during that time period and joining us to walk. One of the ways that we'll invite people to engage is to write on a piece of dissolving paper something they would like to let go of or a transformation they hope to experience and to bring that paper in with them and place it in water in the middle of the labyrinth. It's really fun to put dissolving paper into water, almost as much fun as lighting flash paper on fire and watching it go up in smoke. It is significantly safer, however, to use dissolving water, so we did go that route. Whether or not you believe in the mythology of the labyrinth, you can appreciate perhaps the metaphor of transformation that it offers. Going in toward the center and back out again. A friend of mine likened that to her experience with divorce. She had to go in toward the center, toward what she was most afraid of in order to be transformed, 
and to come out more herself than she imagined she might be able to be. Rose Imhoff, a West member who carries much wisdom, wrote this to me. The idea of transformation reminds me of a sense I've had many times through several transformations in life using the words of T.S. Eliot in Four Quartets. You've had the experience but missed the meaning. An approach to the meaning restores the experience. I am thinking of this, she wrote, in terms of life's constant inner journeying rather than an actual physical journey. However, who of us has not returned to a place we once knew and found it strange? Who of us has not returned to a place we once knew and found it strange? Who of us has not been transformed in our lives? Whether desired or not, that transformation. Who has not spiraled back to something we thought we had dealt with only to find it remains yet again on our list of things to handle? But that we ourselves are different in the approach. Who has not hit the brick wall of the maze that tells us we are going the wrong way and then doubled back and found an opening to the left we missed the first time? Or traveled into the center of things, right in the heart of them? The heart of our fears and our wonderings and then come back out Life has a beginning and a middle and an end. And if we are lucky, none of that is a straight line. <laughs> Your spiral idea kind of inspired me. <laughs> On the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again I find love is making music with my friends And I can't get to get on the road again On the road again Going places that I've never been Seeing scenes that I might never see again and I can get on the road again On the road again Like a band of gypsies we go down the highway We are the best of friends Insisting that the world keep it turning our way And our way is on the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again I find love is making music with my friends And I can get wait to get on the road again
Well, that was inspiring on both fronts. This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections to the platform and what resonates in our own lives. I invite you to raise your hand and begin with your name. You might consider sharing a journey you've had in your own life or one that's transformed you or brought you back to the same place.